I really like to see a really balanced mineral platform for the blueberries and really high calcium, but not calcium that's increasing soil pH. So we are putting down gypsum. Gypsum is also one of the, um, probably one of the key um, components to combating root diseases in berry crops organically. Um, so ink disease is what they call, um, uh, oh, what's, Phytophthora, phytophthora root rot in chestnuts. And there's a, there was a guy that applied um, huge amounts of gypsum, we're talking like several tons a year, and really, and cured his trees, well, cured is a, I guess, relative term, but the effects of the phytophthora root rot went away after several years of these heavy gypsum applications. So I do recommend using gypsum, it works really well. Um, you really need to, um, all of these things need to really be in um, with a soil sample and working with an extension person or an agronomist. That's um, the, this large farming operation, we had three full-time agronomists on our team in-house. So we were doing things and building ways of managing things that we wanted to kind of keep to ourselves and rather than having a chemical company push, even though it's organic, they're still pushing this bugs in the jug idea. Um, and I just be aware, it's kind of like um, your own body health. You can eat the latest, you know, special whatever, or you can eat a wide variety of close to natural and as close to unprocessed, and you're gonna be healthier. Same with the plant, same with the blueberries. All this stuff is really relative. So um, I don't usually go after fancy. Um, we got pitched all kinds of stuff because we were at this kind of a scale. So you're getting pitched all kinds of things. And this guy showed up one day as a funny side story and was pitching us things. He was a real good salesperson as they typically are. He had a great pitch. And at the end of it, I said, well, what? why is it so special? It's still fish, uh, chicken manure, and something else. And he's like, it's because I mix them together depending upon the moon cycles. And it had this huge long story about when the moon was at this, he dumped this into the vat and it was, the moon was at this stage, it was this vat. I was like, I'm out of here. <laughs> it's like, okay, I'm gonna use the same ingredients and I'm just gonna do it when, I'm, when I'm, it works out, so anyway. But anyway, we, in our soils, in our area, we added um, 300 pounds of gypsum every second year to those beds per acre. And it's just on that bed. So it's actually a much higher rate because we apply 300 to the acre, but it's applied on the bed, which is a small portion of that acre. So, sorry, moving on to irrigation systems. Um, so this is a, a drip irrigation manifold going in here, each of these tubes will connect to, up comes out of the, at the end of the row. Um, we put on a T, a valve, a T, two screen filters, and then it goes into the double line drip that's on each side of the plant. So at, on the, like on a small scale, you could use two inch oval hose and bury that. I still would recommend using solid drip. I wouldn't use T-tape because it just disintegrates after a while and gophers can eat it pretty easily too, so. Um, it was really important for us to treat everyone on the farm uh, 
the same, and we'll get a little talk a little more about this. But as we were developing the cruise, um, just because you're on a farm doesn't mean you shouldn't have safety equipment. So, just FYI, just because it's a farm doesn't mean you should do things that are sketchy. So, um, or if you're too cheap, don't plant crops that really require the care they need. Just you need to things need to be done right and well no matter what you do but anyway yeah that's an irrigation line um, that's that trencher that you saw earlier we're now coming along and putting in the irrigation that's a gasketed pipe so each pipe sits in and then is shoved in with a lubricant and there's a gasket that keeps it um, sealed so that um, was a farm crew and um, we bought them all vests and helmets and and uh, ran it like a construction site actually so Everybody was safe, and we actually never had any injuries um, on that kind of a thing. We had a guy crawling between rows that got a seed, weed seed in his ear that went way in, had to get extracted, and we got a guy stung in the eye a few times, like stung in the face, but not big injuries like that. So here's how your blueberries show up in a gallon pot. On the left side, you see all the root system here? where it's, it's not root bound, they're not circling yet, but those roots are, are really entrenched in their little pot there, right? So on the right side is what I like to see it when it goes in the ground. We just do that by hand. Um, so this is a process. Um, another thing is do not plant these too deep. <laughs> it's, a, it's the biggest mistake. And so we had, when we we're planting, we had we had 485 people planting this this other this large farm, and we had team leaders. We split. Um, uh, we designed our teams to have a crew leader, and then a leader of those leaders, and people working in groups all around the farm because they were doing different things all around the farm at the same time. So some were still doing bed forming, some were doing sawdust and compost. This was a huge operation that planted 700 acres in one year. We were planting over 45 acres a day, just actually planting the plants in the ground. But there's all that process that goes up to that. So I say this because it's the most important job on the farm. And it's the one that pe people every time wanted to, they didn't want to do it. They felt like it was unimportant to stand there and watch a crew of 20 people and work with them. and because you'll get to planning, you'll get in a rhythm and you're doing this and then pretty soon they're not doing it. Pretty soon it looks like that. And that plant won't grow very well. And you'll see these things in your field later on and they never come out. It's like it just never re recovers after that. So it's one of the most important jobs on the farm. And it took a lot of education to help people understand that, like that person that's supervising that person, the people doing the planting, was actually the most important person, not the guy driving the tractor, not the guy installing the irrigation. We, and we paid those people more money too. We paid, there was a bonus to be that, that kind of that crew supervisor that was on the planting crews. So this is laying out, um, this is two crews of people laying out the blueberries come in bins like this, all stacked um, in the bin. There's about 300 plants per bin. Um, and you'll go out through the field. So once the, Beds are formed, the sawdust and compost and minerals are put down, they're formed again. We then put the fabric on, it's then 
uh, or we actually lay the drip tube. On that large planting, we had a lady drive 3,000 miles. She wore four sets of tires off of a quad in the summer pulling the drip tube out because you put a, we put a spreader bar on the back of the four-wheeler, connect the tubing to it, and then you drive down the row 500 feet, turn around and come and do it again all day long. It's kind of boring after a while. Um, but yeah, so the drip tube gets laid down, the fabric then gets closed. We then use a um, small um, propane torch to burn the hole in the fabric. And we just, we um, cut, I cut um, like three, uh, I think they were eighth inch metal rings with a handle on it. And then we put a chain on the end of that handle so that the chain fell into this hole when you were at the next hole you needed to burn. So that it was three feet apart. So it automatically, you just burn the hole, burn the hole, and that chain was following down and, and falling into the center of that hole that you previous, that you just burned. So that's how we did this on a large scale. We were trying to design a, a kind of like a branding iron that would stay hot that you could roll on the back of a tractor, but we just never figured that out. Um, we also built a, autom we built a mechanical blueberry planter and it worked pretty well. But when you think about the cost savings to mechanically plant and the fact that that plant's gonna be there for 50 years to 75 years, it's nothing, it's so minute. So we went back to hand planting because it was, was the most accurate way to do it, even though the mechanical was pretty good. So innovation can, you have to balance it. Oh yeah, we plant in the fall. Um, I actually like spring planting the best, but um, the fall planting here in Oregon before it rains too hard is, works out the best for us. So. Um, this is, so this is just planted. You can see that the, this tip here is just bending over. We pre-irrigate pre prior to uh, two days before planting and then let it dry out a little bit. So there's the bed underneath there is moist. And then we irrigate like eight to 12 hours. We really soak that bed afterwards because remember you're going from this um, soil media in the nursery to soil and they're not the same. Uh, the porousness is completely different. So you can check your soil and your soil is saturated right here just soaking wet and that plant can be dry. So you have to look at the plant. Also when you plant we reach in there as we're planting and pull the tube right up next to the to the blueberry and then two or three years later it's fine that it's outside. In fact that's probably the drip tube right under here if you see that it's a little it's right on top um, here and then there. How high is that bed? About 12 inches. Yeah. Um, this is how we were leveling the beds in between after planting. So we take a leaf blower and blow all the debris off of the, um, actually just mounted on the back of a four-wheeler and the guy just drives along and just does this and blows off each one of these beds. So it blows off any of the debris on there. And then we take this three-in-one cultivator and we made these wings for the side of it. This is a rubber piece here that goes right up against the fabric to try to level that out because you when you're doing this, you hope you're only doing this once. Um, I guess it just kind of goes, it just speaks to the level of care that we're doing, taking when we're planting these things new. So that's a newly planted field before the grass cover crop was put in the center. And this is the field the next spring. So we've got grass. Yeah, that's perennial ryegrass. Uh, we use tall fescue too. 
Um, and clover works okay, but clover will tend to creep up on the fabric. So on a small scale, I'd probably, I wouldn't, I'd be okay using like an alcyc clover, or a low growing dwarf, dwarf at the Dutch, I guess. Um, that works too. Um, um, just another photo of a planting. Um, this one is conventional, so there's a herbicide right next to the fabric for the first year, and then it was transitioned to organic, and then so that grass would grow all the way across there. We take the blossoms off the first two years to allow the plant to build up its root system and its um, uh, top, the architecture of the, the structure of the bush and the top. So um, this was just put in here to remind me to take those off. Um, to tell you that um, you can, I mean, if it's a home garden situation, you could leave like one little cluster. That's probably not going to hurt anything. Yes. Yeah. Impact sprinklers. Yeah. Yeah. Good question. Okay. So um, the drip is 95% um, efficient too. So you're getting all the water to the, to the plant where the overhead is only about 75%. So there's a water savings. Um, I didn't like the water on the fruit because it lowers the fruit quality. Um, also, if your water source is surface and you're spraying it on top of the fruit, you have the chance of pathogens. So food safety is a huge problem um, for surface water. Um, it just creates this damp, wet environment. And there's a, so with spotted wing drosophila, we changed our pruning practices to open up the center of the blueberry to get more airflow in there and to not create this cool, damp environment where they love it. In fact, when it gets over 90 degrees, we stop spraying because they can't, they can't lay eggs. They're still there flying around, but they'll die and they can't, they don't lay eggs. They have, to, it has to be down cooler than that for them to uh, reproduce. So overhead irrigation creates this damp, moist environment. It cools the air. I want the air warm. Well, and then you can get too hot and boil your blueberries too, but but anyway, those were the main reasons that I didn't want. It changes fruit quality. Um, you know, if, it's, if you've got a 25-year-old planting and it's the only thing there, you can convert to drip, but it, that, it also requires different pumping system, different filtration. If you don't have any of that stuff, then try to irrigate um, first thing in the morning when they'll dry out during the heat of the day. Don't irrigate at night. I know everybody says irrigate at night because you have less evaporation, but on fruit crops, it's, it's just bad. Um, they also tried micro sprinklers, which is a variation in, in the middle, kind of between overhead impact and drip. And people, it, they, plants actually grew a little better, but the fruit quality is a problem, so yeah. Yeah, and so some areas can't grow grass, like California, they're, they're always, they were very envious of our nice grass up here in Oregon because we, we grow grass. but. California, it was they had to use a cultivator because there was nothing would grow but these really rank broadleaves, like nasty weeds, and so they would use a um, cultivator, and then they would do a winter cover crop when they got any moisture. But then California, they're also thinking about any moisture that goes in the ground. Do you really want that going into a cover crop, or do you want that going into the ground that could then come back to your blueberry? So it, it's a super sterile environment. They don't even do bird control because there's no birds out there. The pests are people down there. 
Yeah, in fact, yeah, anyway, it wasn't, it wasn't a fun place to grow blueberries, but they grow there. And you were having to change the natural environment. The pH down there is like 8.4, and it's just crazy pH, and it won't adjust, and it was just, it's not a natural environment for blueberries, but you can do it, and you can make a lot of money at it because it's not in the main season that the Northwest is in, so... Anything else I want to plant that birds want to eat, I want to eat too. Well, except for mulberries, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, raspberry, blackberry. I will say they like blackberry and raspberries more, I think, than they do blueberries. Um, and spotted wing drosophila likes cherries are the worst. And then I think it's red raspberry and then blackberry and then blueberry for like attractiveness. Just a second. Yes? What do you do to bring the pH down so far? Sulfur. Yeah. And it's a very specific like formula to the soil and what the soil's at and its buffering capacity. Um, we had a farm, that one f farm uh, you were looking at there with the, we just saw the picture of that farm, we didn't realize this, but they had just put on six ton of ag lime to plant garlic two years prior. Yeah, and that soil on that farm happens to be really good soil. It's like eight, 10 feet deep there. So there was, it's just, this really great wealth of buffering capacity. On top of that, the well, in, the, in August, the well's pH was like nine. There was something volcanic ash or something down in that well. And of course, when I'm testing this thing to buy this farm from this client in the wintertime, none of that shows up. Huh, yeah, and, so, and what else didn't show up was the silt, in, silt particle in that pump. So, you know, you take a well test and no sand shows up, but there's this fine silt particle that was also this like volcanic little ash particle that would come up in the water, right? So here we are planting. We've got a planting in. We turn on the irrigation system and it's, we can't get anything out of the, the we, we start plugging stuff up immediately. We've already got 40 acres in the ground. <laughs> so immediately I get one of those hot trucks out of like California or whatever and got a sand a cyclone sand separator on a truck. I got a, we got a sand media system. We, like another farmer was supposed to have it for his thing. They said, we'll ship it to you. So like overnight we were getting these trucks showing up. We had, you know, welders in place. We changed the whole configuration of, of the irrigation system. And we had the sand media, the sand separator and a sand media filtration system. And that got us off the ground, but that was about a, a week's worth and it, and it rained you know fortunately um it was a huge blessing that it rained and uh you know god god's watches out for us when we make stupid choices too so i mean i guess i don't know that that was actually a dumb choice because there were some unknowns we did a lot of testing we do a lot of due diligence before we go into something so it was a case where it was still an unknown even after all the testing and so this shows up so we get the irrigation system going and then along comes August and we're like, why is this veining showing up, this inner veining and it's yellowing showing up. And so we start testing stuff again and the pH of the soil had gone down with that initial soil application and then went right back to where it was. It was 6.8, right back. And so we're applying sulfur. So then we're starting to apply sulfur 
we get a sulfur burner out of California and we're burning sulfur and mixing it in the water. So it's this whole system where it burns it, mixes the gas in the water to acidify the water. So that starts working. But because that soil had this high buffering capacity, the salts would evaporate to the top and started burning the stems of the blueberries right at the base of the blueberry because it, the salt would come up from that sulfur application and all of that sulfur we were putting in the soil. So then we were having to do these huge like 12 hour drenches to push it down. Yeah, that farm now produced, you know, 2.8 million pounds last year and it's back on track, but it was three years of trying to buffer our way through this system. I mean, all these problems with all of that. So even with all of the, you know, everybody looking at all the diligence work ahead of time, you can still run into challenges. Um, Fortunately, that client's in it for the long haul and they understood and it, it cost a little bit more, but it wasn't too bad. We were actually still under budget in total on that project. But um, yeah, it's kind of devastating to be, it just makes you sick. <laughs> Things aren't happy and not growing, but. No, uh, we lost uh, less than a half a percent. Yeah. Anything under 5%, the industry considers successful. So it was, yeah, it was a huge blessing that way. But um, yeah, a lot of prayer. <laughs> I just, uh, those kind of situations, all, all, I, all you can do is, you know, pray and keep trying stuff because it's, uh, it's hard to, it's hard to figure out. Somebody make, sh can somebody make sure you, t or I'll just keep trying to keep track here. So can you get other questions on planting? Yeah. Posts. What do you have those for? Trellis. Um, they, when, they, when these plants, and you'll see this in a, one of the harvesting videos towards the end of the presentation, um, they lay on the ground. Um, the fruit. The fruit just drags the, the branches down to the ground. So that trellis is two wires, one on each side, and we move it up as that plant grows to keep it um, off the ground when it's fruiting. Okay. Yeah, support. And these are actually oil pipe. So in organics, you can't use pressure-treated wood. So you either have to use cedar. Um, we actually found a plastic-encoded glass-impregnated wood post. It was kind of interesting. Although it looked like a cemetery graveyard because they were white. So there's these lines of white posts, and it just never took off. It, uh, plus, you could break them. So when you pull out the end of the row, they would snap inside that plastic and then you're having to replace them. So these are oil pipe cut in nine foot, let's see, seven foot length. And they have a bubble plate. So it's a plate that we weld on each one of these that's when we drive these into the ground. And we actually use a um, hydraulic post pounder on a um, bobcat or an excavator to pound these in the ground. And we made a jig to hold them at the right angle because there's a, um, and we, this is another thing we learned by doing, uh, we punched the main line a couple times because the angle, yeah, yeah, that's really fun. <laughs> so, so we made an angle thing that would shoot it, it's like, so when you line it up on the end of the bed, it angles into the bed and it would shoot it past the, the, the main lines like right here, so, yeah. Um, and then these are all pounded in by hand. These are just five foot lightweight T-posts with a spade on them and we use 12 and a half gauge high tensile wire. That costs about $1,350 an acre to install. So 
so it's fairly expensive. That's metal and labor. You say you just move the wire up? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, key point. Um, so we don't use a solid cross plate. Um, they have these metal solid cross plates, and we don't do that because the machine, um, trans the vibration of the picking harvesting machine translates down the wire with those solid ones. We use a wire loop, so we get 14 gauge wire, and we wrap it around the T-post, and then come out here and wrap it around that wire to hold it in place like this. And that doesn't translate, it, it moves. And so it, then, so fruit will fall off down before you can get it in the harvester with the solid plates. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.